There's a truth not many know about the world while you're asleep, that the wind slips through your windows to steal the secrets that you keep. And if you don't believe me, then you're welcome to your doubt, but have you never stopped to wonder what it's whispering about? What else in the world could make the treetops bend and sway by the weight of all the words that no one ever dared to say? And since it's while you're sleeping, secrets are easiest to take. It's no surprise ones with the deepest are ones kept wide awake. Ashna Singhal. Wide awake or not, Jim McNeish. So that was the beautiful. <laughs> never voice. get a, never get a, a minute's sleep, me. This is Jim McNeish, and this is Kirsty Mack, who's wide awake, wide awake. And how are you, Kirsty? I'm very well, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, actually. Yeah, life's good. It's so, um, it's working out, and we're doing fine. And uh, been a good time. And we're going to be having a wee conversation today about privacy. Just a little thing. Tell us about privacy, Kirsty. Just a little thing. I think it's a really interesting thing just now. So there's so many layers to this, you know, and I'm really curious about it. So many layers. And it's changing because, you know, the world has changed. <laughs> Understatement number one of the podcast. Um, <laughs> and the notion of privacy has changed. You know, because of the different ways that we're working this year we don't go to work we go to the kitchen table or we go to the office or we go to hover over in an iron board thinking it's a standing desk yes. you know, but we don't and so there's no me at home and then me at work Yes. The, and so because of that there isn't necessarily a privacy mm. that exists and we're open which is a wonderful place to be because it's a real privilege that as leaders we get to see inside people's homes and yeah. we see their life and we see you know their cats and their dogs and their relationships and all of that and also the leaders see everything about our life they see our cats and our dogs and everything and so it's that notion of privacy has changed somewhat. Yes, yeah. It's interesting, I think, I wonder if I'm out of step with the rest of the world here. And it's not the first time I've been accused of that. <laughs> um, but I've never had much divide between private space and workspace. So Cantal, yeah. you know, I lived at Cantal. Um, people come to my house here, the community met there. And so privacy always meant more like emotional privacy to me. Like the the right not to be violated. You know, the right to kind of keep that space. And so I get, with the whole change in world situation, I don't think I notice other people's homes or their houses other than, like those were areas I used to have access to before because quite often people would visit with their families or do those things or coaching draws you into that space. But I, I find that... Um, it's never about what people can see in my home or being in that part of it. It's, it's, it's about um, what access do people have to your internal life, to your, the, your, your sacred space, your shadow, your, you know, that type of stuff. I've always kind of seen it that way. And I hear people now talking about the, this greater invasion of privacy. Um, and I don't experience that, but I do experience now people who want to connect at a deeper level 
and assume because they've shared things with me yeah. that actually therefore they have an access. Yeah. And and I, I am pretty open. I am yeah. available for friendship. I am all those type of things. Yeah. But I guess it's those where I'm vigilant yeah. rather than than the space. Yeah. Yeah. There's it, there is a space, but it's an internal space. And I think that's the you know keeping that sacred and yeah and there is that and also you know we're we're experiencing it we're online more you know we're Aye. we're we're out there which gives people a perception of access you know we're, there's been lots of people watching the social dilemma um, and finding out about that actually our our lives aren't as private perhaps as some people think they are because <laughs> the data is is a commodity. The data yes. about our life is a commodity and it, it turns into pounds and euros and dollars. And, and so that's opened up a debate. Um, social media, press, what is private. We're really seeing you know, this whole thing is shining a light on things with, with the press is that what is private? We've talked before about people really wanting to find the source of things. And we're only, we think we're seeing into people's lives, but we're probably only seeing a percentage of it. Yeah. And so the, the, it feels like for a lot of things, as all of the constructs unfold in ways which they could, privacy is kind of mixed in with that. Yeah. Yeah. And it has to be considered, doesn't it? It has to be considered as a, a thing when we are online. Like I, I'm now, I've got people joining my library. And so I see their names, and I, I know what they're interested in in the library, and I feel a bit funny about it, yeah. you know. So I don't look, yeah. and um, and you get them identified with the last four digits of their credit card, you know. And so that means nothing, and you can do nothing with it. But I'm still like, no, I don't, I don't want to, you know, have them identified in any of those ways, and. Um, yeah, I think that online privacy becomes something that we're all going to have to just get that bit more sensitised to in that what is it you're allowed to pull back. And this, this definition, this, you know, the, the root of the word, um, which is the same root as deprivation and privation, um, this idea of a, a kind of almost like an enforced withdrawal, a, 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 a keeping back from people, um, I wonder to what extent that is a, a psychological need. Psychological need to keep something withdrawn, something that you choose. It's an exercising of will. And with this kind of involuntary measure that's coming in, in terms of this is how you have to work and this is what we have to see, I wonder if there's mental health issues associated with a sense of invasion, a sense of... I'm not getting a choice about the fact that actually there are just great, greater accesses to my life. Yeah, because it's not being voluntary, <laughs> you know? I, and also, if it's temporary, that's okay, but it's becoming, feeling like this is less and less temporary. We are living with a pandemic. This is how it's going to be. People's contracts are changing, and it's not you're in the office 100% of the time. Um, and so, yeah, there, I think we think about the work constructs, that constructs that have changed, then even our choice to go to work, now we would know, we know why we're choosing not to go to an office, but that's also a private choice. And I'm hearing people say, well, we got a remit, we got an email sent out to say everyone has to be in the office now. 
So there's Aye. that control element. So, you know, some personality types, some businesses, some corporations are saying, well, where is everyone? Uh-huh. We need them in the office. We're an office culture. We need to bring them back into the office. So that control. And I, I'm saying, not that I'm in that situation. Well, actually, I'm choosing not to go in from a safety perspective, from a health perspective. Um, but that kind of links into trust, doesn't it? I think so. I, I think it speaks to trust in a huge way in the sense of, like even, even so you, you know as well, we will coach high profile individuals. And so I know from some of the people that I coach, uh, I am monitored. So um, I don't think, I do have a private internet life. Um, I'm, I'm monitored, I, I know that I am. And, um, but I have to choose to trust my government. I have to choose to trust the intelligence uh, agencies. I have to choose to trust those that say there are professional people that aren't interested in my idiosyncrasies as a human being. They're interested in whether I'm involved in terrorism or something that could be a national threat. That's all. Um, And so if you don't trust those things, then you will feel persecuted and you will feel an infringement. So I choose to trust. I feel like psychologically and from a mental health point of view, I don't have any other choice if I want to go freely and calmly and peacefully through the day. There has to be a sense of me rationalising that there's a bunch of professionals who might occasionally take an interest in what I'm up to, but only because of who I'm coaching. And that's, so that rationalisation gives you freedom and freedom's a really interesting word there if we think about some of the organisations went to well I'm going to have to trust you because we're going to have to move the call centre it's got to be up and running in people's homes in two weeks time so I have to trust that the processes will get in place and we'll do it Yeah. now organisations have actually seen an increase in performance an increase in productivity as a side question in parenthesis is that because people are more comfortable or is it that they are working longer so you know that's another debate it could be either or what do you think like as you kind of weigh up what do you think so on one hand i think it is that people are more comfortable Mm. in their conversations i was talking to one organization that's in the funeral care um, industry and their productivity levels are astronomical now obviously driven by the climate and also what they're finding from their team is that they feel more comfortable having the conversations because people are disclosing more information and they are not distracted by other people sitting on on a headset beside them. Um, And also, the stats would say, of which I know 66% are made up on the spot, the stats (laughs) would say that people are, are, because we're not creating our own boundaries, on my laptop there, I'll just do that, I'll just do that. And because then that becomes that sort of cycle of, if I'm emailing you at 11 o'clock, do you email me back at 11 o'clock or is it okay for me? And so that is the privacy of time then comes into that. Um, What impact do you think hub staff has on trust in (laughs) Kirsty? Whose sales are quadrupled um, since February. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, that you can measure people's keystrokes, you can measure people's hours, you can measure their mouse movements, you can measure their website visits, you take screenshots of what they're doing. I mean, I, w- I, was, I saw a 
a little sort of mini documentary on the BBC about this this American journalist who decided to do it, and it was screenshots of everything that was happening in his life with these kids coming in and everything. So himself and his boss um, did the did the experiment, and she was saying, one, I looked at the stats and saw well he's not as productive as I thought he was she says and even though I knew it was an experiment I you know that was a visceral response that came up in me she says and then also I could see everything so I felt that I was invading his privacy but not just his privacy his family's privacy you know as his kids came in and out but we are seeing a phenomenal increase in technology that can monitor people working yeah, that's not going to build the trust, is it? It's a feel that, that <laughs> I mean, for me personally, um, no. <laughs> it's back to X and Y leaders. It's basically, mm-hmm. are you the type of leader that thinks people are stupid and lazy? Mm-hmm. Or are you the type of leader that thinks they're capable and trustworthy and hardworking? And if you're the former, you're going to want to keep an eye on them. And if you're the latter, you're going to want to release them into as much productivity as possible. And people can feel that. And here's the thing is, there will be a spectrum of laziness and a spectrum of capability amongst everybody. It's just, what impact do you want to have on society? Do you want people starting to go hidden and covert and undercover with that stuff? Or actually, are you really happy for them to occasionally have a lazy day? occasionally have an unproductive day because when you catch them motivated and when you catch them on fire they make a massive incremental difference to your business and you let them go with it absolutely absolutely and there are different like you were talking about it's weird that people are talking about this invasion of privacy into their home whereas you know it's an emotional thing and there's different dimensions there's informational privacy there's social privacy there's psychological privacy there's physical privacy and so there are different dimensions of it when you start to break it down, which will be different from all of us. Even for me and myself, I am used to working from home. So right at the very start, Billy started working from home. And I was like, one, Jesus, Johnny Macaroni, he's like... Fawn Billy, yeah. Fawn Billy, as we like to call him, fondly. Um, and also, I was like, oh, well, he's now in my place of work. And it was, it was actually, when I think about it, it was a little bit of, uh-huh. an, not an inv- invasion is a big word, but an invasion of privacy. It felt uh-huh. different. And, and so it's going to be different in terms of people's physical space, in terms of what we're comfortable disclosing. Um, but, you know, there's different conditions of it as well. You know, if we think it allows us, and what you were talking about earlier, it gives us solitude. Yes. You know, freedom from presence and the surveillance of others. Yeah, my assistant Mark's on holiday this week. Love him dearly, but glad to see the back of him, you know. It's like a really, really great guy. (laughs) (laughs) Really great guy. And actually, he's like a wee mouse in terms of the way he goes about the house. He's like, and he leaves in nine months' time to get married to, to Charlotte. And um, I'll miss him like mad. He's it's a great wee guy to have around. But see, a week without him, I have gone through the roof in terms of productivity, in terms of Funny, things that I've it? done, um, focus, uh, proactive catching up with people again. Yeah. It's amazing that one other person in the house, and he's really, I can't overemphasize how undemanding he is, but actually his absence frees me up into a whole bunch of... Um, proactive social connections with people I haven't spoken to for a little while and 
yeah, that, that need for solitude for me is just yes. incredibly important. And it's then I'm in my private space and I do talk to myself, occasionally sing. Um, have been known to dance a little. Uh, I was doing that this morning. And um, like, I, I, I'm a wee bit mental when I'm on my own. And there isn't the space to do that when your assistant has one of your spare rooms. Uh, you have to watch what you're doing, you know. There's no midnight dash to the back door in your pants to check that you've locked it. Because you might bump in the car. And I would tell you, he'd resign on the spot. Um, you know, it's like, but now you can do these things, you know, that need for that alone solitude space. I just got this. I have so many images right now, I'm not going to lie. It's a wobbly one, I'll tell you. <laughs> so but it's like Hugh Grant in Love Actually, isn't it? He's like dancing down, like, there's a Prime Minister. No, that good. No, that good. I reckon you have got some moves. Yeah, there's moves, there's moves. Do you know what? I, that's so true. I hadn't really considered that. Because I've been going out of the house and going and hiding in Billy's office, actually. But that solitude has allowed that my increase in productivity as well. Mm -hmm. I hadn't actually considered that. Yeah. yeah. And then the whole did. intimacy idea as well, which is you need room for to work on the relationships which are important to you. Yeah. Um, I found this time really good, actually, in terms of I've gone for more walks and coffees and the smiddy, of course, where we are, is a, is a godsend. It's a slice yeah. of heaven. Um, and, um, you know, to be here, I've, I've actually found this time's meant I've had more of that than I normally do in my life. Normally I'm distracted with busyness and I have either professional conversations with people or distracted, action-orientated ones. Now... I'm actually sitting and I'm able to, like this morning before we started, you and I were able to inquire into each other's lives and how we're really feeling and and um, I find that that has actually helped a lot during that time but you need it, you need that yes. private space for that and I wonder if people will work harder to hold on to that, especially with their kids. Yeah. And, and also you've got the anonymity, she says easily, <laughs> with that freedom from identification there's such an expectation for us to be online. You know, I was hearing someone the other day, they were talking about recruitment, they says, well, I googled them and I didn't find much. And that was seen as something wrong. And it's like, isn't that just beautiful? Mm. Isn't that just someone just being very elegant and graceful with their boundaries? And you know, it's weird that we default to that's a bad thing. I couldn't find them. Mm. That's great. And so I think there's, there is an expectation of identification through the world that we live in, whereas actually being a little bit anonymous is lovely. Like, really lovely. I, I, I was with a, an older friend of mine, um, quite a religious lady, and we were in the Apple store. And she's 20 years older than me, and I was just having her out for the day, and she's like a family friend. And um, I was showing her various things, and there was an access to the internet, and she was inquiring, and so I put my name in. And I just said, oh, watch that, and, and photographs of me came up, and different things like that, and she was absolutely stricken. I got a whole conversation, the whole car home about the mark of the beast, um, and, and, and uh, the second coming, and... Um, you know, how I was going to get left. And, and I, 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 I was laughing. But actually, I remember thinking, 
actually, if I googled her, she wouldn't come up at all. She's got a privacy and an, an anonymity that um, I don't have anymore, nor will ever have. Yeah. Nor will ever have. Nor will ever have. These, these podcasts, somewhere or another, will exist yeah. for eternity digitally. Yeah. Somewhere. And um, I think there's, a, uh, there's just a, an acceptance of that fact that for any of us engaging today in this world, um, anonymity is going to be limited. And that's a, it's another condition in terms of reserve. You know what you choose to disclose. You know what you choose to disclose. What and, and that sort of how you limit your self disclosure. And we have and recognizing that we have a choice to do that. And I think that's possibly what some people are missing is recognizing that choice to do that. And the, the other thing is that we have a real privilege that we can see into people's lives. So it's the privilege of knowing, but what do we do with that? I remember speaking to one of the, one of the execs in a, in, in a bank just right at the start, and he says, it's just amazing. We can see into people's lives and the gift of it and their, their trinkets and, their, and it's amazing. And um, you can never unsee that. And so what, what has it done to your belief system about that person? Mm-hmm. What has it done in terms of your bias? You know, it's like uh, the Wizard of Oz shouting, pay no attention to the man <laughs> behind the curtain. Yes. Um, but what we see is now in our, our mind's eye. And so how do we hold that? Rather than it being in a... Because it could be in a manipulatory way for some personality types. Yes. Or is it in a kind way, is it a compassionate way, is it in a relational way? I think there's a real balance to walk here. So I love how your client responded, that sense of privilege, yeah. that sense yeah. of honour. I think that's entirely appropriate because I guess one of the main things we're after in any business transactional conversation is to get to that disclosive space, that that space where your listening has been of such high quality that the person is able to bring forward their hidden obstacles or their hidden blocks or their background conversation that they haven't expressed. But the fact that a lot of those walls are crumbling anyway and we can see that their kid's written on the wall behind them and we can see that somebody hasn't been able to tidy up and we can get a sense of their home life stress we're getting access to that background conversation to some extent anyway, which means that we can have those real high quality disclosive conversations, I think, in ways we never have before. I'm finding actually that my access to the visual insight of somebody's home and somebody's private life, I think I'm fast tracking coaching conversations more than I've ever done. And we were always expecting those coaching conversations to be weaker because we can't do the micro cues and I don't know that they are. 100% agree. Yeah, 100% agree. I think getting that access has been amazing, but getting that other balance with that stuff, I think is really important and that imposition from an organization. So, you know, I observed in one of the organizations I worked in, the leader asked his direct reports to phone um, five people each in the organisation to find out how they were and to keep an eye on them every week. And it was the most uh, exhausting 
taxing thing you could have asked them to do. Everybody was trying to handle their own stuff. And suddenly it was, um, I want you to phone these people and I want you to um, keep an eye on them. Interesting for me though, was as I spoke to the people who'd been asked to do that, they felt their trust was being violated. And I was like, what? You're the boss phoning somebody at their home to say, how are you emotionally coping with the situation? And you think your trust, they were like, yeah. Because if we ask them that question, they have the right to ask us that question. So the organisation asking them to do that puts them in a situation where there is a moral right for the other person to say, so what's going on in your private life and how are you getting on? And so I think there has to be a real care taken with these organisations about how they're going to impose this conversation that happens now in people's homes. I don't think you have as much rights. And I think there's, it depends how we've set ourselves up as well. I was speaking to one client who said there was a remit that went out. I love the word remit. Um, everyone in the office, you know, we've got to be in the office slightly unaware of the global pandemic that is happening. That's right. Um, <laughs> Watch the news, will you? Although, we just, someone just turn on BBC for that man. Um, then no one came in. They were utterly shocked by the situation. But then, a week or two weeks later, another remit came out and said, it's really important for your mental health <sighs> for you to come in and have access to other people. Like us. <laughs> Let me get my car keys. <laughs> exactly. Scorch marks on the carpet as you leave your desk and run for the car to get in the office. Oh, I need to be around all those healthy people. I just, that sounds like a blast. Um, <laughs> and he's just like, oh my goodness gracious. I mean, do they not recognise the that disintegration of trust? It's terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You've got to be really careful now about... There has to be that privacy thing taken into account because we're talking here about boundaries. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking here about the right to put up boundaries, time boundaries. You know, it's 11 at night. Uh, somebody wants to just do an email to you, great, crack yeah. on. Yeah. Just don't expect a reply until half nine the next morning. Yeah. Um, that idea of the ability to put boundaries down is like a, as, a, as a human right. Yeah. Um, but we're now at a place of really wavering. In 2020, we're wavering with that particular human right because organisations are coming into people's homes. Organisations are asking people, could you keep your child out of that room while we're having the meeting? Like, what, this room that my child normally has is a play den, yeah. and it's the only place I can set my laptop up. Yeah. Is that what you're now asking? Yes, it is. And so it's like organisations are going to have to just get really clear about the mental health, the productivity associated with people being allowed to put their own boundaries down in their own home, but individuals are also going to have to be aware that actually you are inviting the workplace into your home, and so therefore your boundaries need to be ones that are a bit more negotiated and need to be thought through, and that is going to become a new space of sensitivity between leaders and people in their organisations. And on a personal level, from a social media, you know, what's, what is your comfort? 
and, and to check in, and especially I think now is a good time to check in on what is your level of comfort and privacy on those levels of informational, social, psychological, physical. What are you disposing? What are you comfortable with? What are you comfortable putting out on, on social media? And, and how, and say, because people put out so much on social media and then get annoyed when people ask them questions. Yeah. It's like, but you put a picture up. <laughs> it's just like, hello? And, and so it is about, are you disclosing too much and therefore unfolding yourself to have, have allow people to have more access to you? Or maybe you're not disclosing enough. Mm. And notice your own level of comfort on those different levels. Wow, I'd never thought about it that way. Yeah, is there... Is there an optimum level of disclosure yeah. that actually, where you're in control? Yes. I think it comes back yeah, to then yeah. you get control, don't you? Yeah. But you have to accept that we're in a world now which is largely digitized mm. and you need to just have a strategy and a, a way of thinking about how much privacy do you need and what areas are mm. versus actually what you will release and what's appropriate to to stop there being a pursuit or an invasion. Um, yeah. I think that's the balance that we need to start to do. And, and we we have that balance. I mean, I, I, I have that balance. I was coaching a client fairly recently and we'd had an initial conversation which had been, gone really, really deep. And I felt we'd done quite a lot of work there. And so now we were being a bit more pragmatic. But each time I'd met him, there was always a little bit of a hint from him that I wish we were going deep again. I wish we were going deep again. And so I, I cottoned on to it. And, and our last session, I went really deep. And I asked him some level five questions. And, and we went there. And he came out at the end of it saying, oh, I'm exhausted. He said, I really enjoyed We have funny face thing. But it was the idea that um, I have such a respect for his privacy. I, I really don't want to invade or or um, overstep the mark. I want to make sure he feels really safe. But actually what I need to watch out for is where has somebody else set the bar? Where is somebody else wanting to open up to that space and how do I become much more aware of that? So I think this is an, another level of consciousness required which is not only managing my own values around privacy but what is somebody else's? And because of my personality type, I will, <laughs> I will get in amongst it um, yes. and, and find deep joy in going to the level five after hello. <laughs> yes. In fact, one of my clients said to me the other day, they were like, all right, like, it's just, all right. And I'm like, oh, I'm just asking some questions. Um, and so I have to be very cognizant of that and and hold the space for the person and not not for me and to probe. And, you know, we will probe, but just it's, it's holding that balance. I think one of the most useful things I ever heard was um, Maya Angelou. Of course. Well, you don't have to say anything after that <laughs> sentence. Of course it was. I love Maya Angelou saying that when people tell you who they are, believe them. You know, I have so many tricks up my sleeve of differential psychology that could carve people up in different ways. And so different inroads and different ways of exploring. And it it could be easy for me to sit back and say, I know who you really are, or yeah, I can see what you're hiding. 
but somebody's outward expression of who they are is a lot to do with who they are. And so there is just a real wisdom in believing that and, and doing that. And I think I feel it myself. You know, I feel that idea of I want people to take what I'm choosing to give them rather than what they feel they can actually access themselves. Well, I saw an interview with Maya, with the lovely Oprah, and there was something that she talked about that really resonated with me, and she was saying, it goes back to what you were saying right at the start, keep a part of you inside of you that no one else can touch. Inviolate, pristine and clear. Um, in her words, she was saying, you know, this may be the place that you go to to meet God. Um, and she said that helps her set up boundaries. And it was like when someone shouts you down or says bad things, she goes, nope, not here. Not, and, and so there was a clear boundary. And she was very pristine Wonderful. about the language that was used around her. And, and whether you believe in God or a deity or, or otherwise, I think that's good counsel to have that space of grace, of Eunice, <laughs> that is kept safe. You know, from a deeply personal point of view, I remember when I converted to Christianity, I was 18, and I remember the evening it happened where I just gave into it and said, that's it, I do believe in you and I will live my life according to that. And I used to hate going back to university. My dad would drop me off at Linlithgow train station and I would feel so lonely and so overwhelmed on that train station platform going back. I didn't, hadn't made friends through there yet and it was winter and I, I hated it so much and I, I felt really, really low. And the night that I converted, I stood on that platform and I felt none of that. And I also felt a promise that I would never have to feel that again. And 35 years later, I never have felt that level of despair or isolation or loneliness ever again. And it's that inviolate space in me, which basically is, there's an area of my life which is hidden in God, where I go and I talk about my faithlessness where I talk about my lovelessness, my judgment, my coldness, my shadow, my dark side. It's also um, where I talk about my wounds and my inadequacies and my sorrow. And, um, but it's also where there are just parts of me where I know my gifting lies and where I know that actually that's where there's a boundary that says occasionally people do get to get access to that. I will do it, but only if I've deemed that they are very careful and that they're very respectful and that they're ready to see something sacred. And if that happens, then they can see that. Otherwise, I just keep that place as, and I think about it as hidden in God, which is exactly what you're talking about. And that's something for, I think it is important to work with that paradox of when we are putting ourselves out there, and we are doing it online a lot just now, I'm actually a very private person and people find it difficult to think I'm a private person because it feels like I disclose so much and I, I do, I'm extroverted and I put it out there but there's only a few people that I let in 
and it is having that grace and I think it is important to keep that private, to keep that clean, to keep it pristine um, and, and look out for yourself. In that. And I watch you, I watch how you successfully allow people access in a very sculpted, usually humorous, um, thought through way and then the ones or twice where you and I have spoken about other things, I see another part and another thing there as well and I think you hold that balance really well. Never trust a mirror, for the mirror always lies. It makes you think that all your worth can be seen from the outside. Never trust a mirror, it only shows you skin deep. You can't see how your eyelids flutter when you're drifting off to sleep. It doesn't show you what he sees when you're only being you or how your eyes just light up when you're loving what you do. It doesn't capture when you're smiling where no one else can see and your reflection cannot tell you everything you mean to me. Never trust a mirror for it only shows your skin and if you think that it dictates your worth, it's time you looked within. Erin Hansen.